Hello everyone and welcome to the Crux Tree Survival Stories. I am your host, Casey McIntosh, joined by Julie Hemmingson. Hi Casey. Hi. I thought that since we're having heat everywhere, we would take a deep dive into the winter months and tell a story that takes place in January of 2002 when Tommy Robbins of Kirkland, New Mexico, plans a scenic plane ride for his brother-in-law, Larry Diamond of St. Petersburg, Florida, over the Colorado Rockies with his friend, 31-year-old Justin Kirkbride, piloting the plane. When a downdraft ultimately led to a plane crash into some trees in the snowy, remote wilderness. Sounds like a good one, Casey. Yeah, just wait. It's going to remind you of one that you told not that long ago. Oh, exciting. Brother-in-laws Tommy Robbins and Larry Diamond spent a week together on vacation, which I'm assuming was in New Mexico, assuming because Larry was from Florida, and this takes place starting out in New Mexico. At the end of this week, Tommy plans this scenic plane ride just to surprise Larry, just so he can see every, the Rocky Mountains from above. And he commissions his friend, Justin, who is a pilot, to take them on this flight. Larry was not only Tommy's brother-in-law, but he also considers him a best friend. They're very close. And Tommy is way more outdoorsy than Larry is, being probably from Florida. This was pretty standard sightseeing operation, if you want to call it that. They planned to go out for a few hours and return by lunchtime. The crew hopped into the single-engine Cessna 172, and they were really enjoying the sightseeing. They were seeing wildlife down below. It was a gorgeous day. After about an hour, they decided to go further over the mountains to get an even better view. And the problem begins when Justin tries to pull up over the mountains. And from my understanding, Cessnas are not real fast at moving over mountains. It's not like a helicopter where you can just elevate. This is when their problems begin. He's not able to pull up. At this time, there's a really significant downdraft. And so Justin thinks, okay, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna turn the airplane around and try to get out of this situation. But every time he tried to do that, he was getting a stall signal, which, you know, if he continues to try to do that, the plane will just fall out of the sky without any control. So he knows he's going down and he just needs to try to control the crash. That sounds terrifying. Is this guy a pretty experienced pilot or, or do we know? Maybe this is his first time trying to fly up over the mountains or maybe it was just the downdraft. Right. I sounds don't like he's know. I, I didn't see anything that talked about Justin's experience flying or anything like that, but I feel like he was pretty quick thinking in the moment. Emotions are running high in the plane. They're all fearing for their lives. They crash forcefully into some trees and in a moment... All is silent and the plane is resting on a snowfield. Justin is not injured, but he notices that there's fuel just gushing out of the plane. And so he's really worried that it's going to light on fire. He looks next to him and Larry is sitting in the front seat and Larry is alert, but he can't get up. He's got significant leg pain. So Justin has to encourage him, you know, hey, we really have to get out of this thing right now. And Larry's able to stand up and go through the front windshield backwards, but he's not able to stand on his leg. In the back of the plane, Tommy is completely unconscious. And mm. Justin's just yelling and screaming at him. 
ultimately Justin ended up having to help Tommy get out. He was basically dragging him out of the plane and Tommy was over 200 pounds. So there's some speculation that at this point in the act of Justin pulling Tommy out of the airplane, maybe Tommy's ribs were broken, but who knows that could have happened during the crash. Obviously he has a pretty significant head injury to be unconscious but he was able to regain consciousness at this point. Yeah, I feel like in that moment, a, a broken rib or two is maybe like the least of their concern. But maybe it turns into something like a lung injury. But gosh, yeah, a couple broken ribs. Not surprising. Well, I think that if you're going to have a lung injury from a broken rib, most of the time it's probably happening at time of impact for the most part. If it's significant enough to be concerning, would you agree? I agree. I think that there's actually quite a bit of research into that very question that confirms that an underlying lung injury associated with a rib injury is going to happen at the, at the moment of impact, not afterward. So I think that's valid. Although I have to say just from years of working in the urgent care, rib injuries must be extremely painful because people always whine a whole heck of a lot about them. I've never had any rib injuries, so I can't speak to this personally, but I just know that people have extreme pain. I've seen that too. And also have not had one myself, but my husband, Matt has, and he sure whined a lot. <laughs> At this point, obviously Tommy and Larry are unable to walk out of there. They are, their injuries are too significant given the amount of snow and the terrain that they're in to actually get out of there. And Justin feels really responsible and feels the need to do something. He considers turning on the radio to transmit an SOS He's worried that if he turns the radio, that whole plane is just going to go up in flames. But he's willing to take the risk. He just feels responsible enough that he's willing to do whatever it takes. He goes over to the plane, turns on the radio, and thankfully for everyone involved, the plane did not start on fire at this moment. He tries to put out an SOS. No one's responding to it. But at least he's able to put out the SOS. He, at that point, is like, we can't just sit here. Night is coming. It's cooling off. Nobody's dressed for it. So Justin decides to walk out. They had flown over Durango 10 minutes before they crashed, and Justin figured that they were about 15 miles away from Durango. Uh, I read an article in the Tampa Bay Times, and they stated that it was actually 60 miles north of Durango, so significantly further than what he was thinking. Yeah, that's quite a distance and quite a difference between what he anticipated. When we're in an airplane, our perception of distance is probably not great. And then the other thing is that they were on a joyride before they crashed. And so they probably weren't th really paying attention to those kind of details. The temperatures can go down, down to negative 30s in these mountains. Again, nobody's dressed for this type of temperature. Uh, they're in the 20s this evening, thankfully. The train is obviously really rugged and Justin is not dressed for the weather. And when he first started out, didn't have any visual appreciation for how far he had to go. And then he entered into the canyon and he could see all the way and realized that, wow, I have a lot further to go than I initially anticipated. At that point I was thinking, this might be impossible. And back at the, the crash site, Tommy is worried that Justin might have some internal injuries that he's aware of. So he's thinking, Maybe he's bleeding internally and doesn't know it. Justin has literally miles of walking and it's waist deep snow. He was able to find this creek 
and it was pretty shallow. At that point, he had to make this decision to either continue to walk through waist-deep snow or get into the creek and travel much more quickly, but with the risk of hypothermia, right? He knew the gravity of that decision. Yeah, that's a tough one. What would you decide, Casey? I don't know. I guess it has to depend on how high your hopes are at this point and how difficult walking through the snow is. I suppose he's thinking about how much time it's taking and because once night falls, your chances are lower and lower. So I think it's pretty much the lesser of two evils, which all end with the same result, you know, hypothermia either way. So I think that that's why he decided to take the stream. And I can't say, what about you, Julie? Yeah, I'm just picturing these like the shoes that I imagine he was wearing for some reason, I think pilots, I could be wrong about this. We can ask your brother, but I think pilots wear special kind of shoes that allow them to have a lot of good feel like a thin soled shoe. So they can really feel the pedals more easily. So I'm picturing like these pilot shoes that are not going to hold up in waist deep snow and not going to hold up in a mountain stream as well. So I feel like either way you're looking at frostbite of the toes, hypothermia. That's a tough one. I'd probably pick the most direct route, which maybe would be the stream. Yeah. I mean, really, again, the bad result ends up with either of these options and it's just one might, one might take a little bit longer, but also you're going to be going so much slower at that point and time is of the essence. So Anyway, he started running in the creek and then he realized that was not a very smart move because if you twist his ankle and he can't walk anymore, then it's a for sure thing that he's going to die of hypothermia. He was also a long way from the wreck at that point. Tommy and Larry are sitting back shivering in the woods and Larry is less mobile. He's not really able to move at all. And Tommy was just more skilled with outdoor survival. He starts thinking about building a shelter. So he goes back and forth from the plane about 20 times. It sounded like they created something that was sort of a snow cave with some pine boughs and they brought the seats from the airplane into it. They were not feeling super excited or hopeful when they crawled into the snow cave because I think they realized we're really gonna be spending the night out here now at this point. So Justin is starting to be affected by the cold water and he's wet to his mid thighs. He's fallen a few times in the stream and he knew that he couldn't stay in there much longer. He was feeling just a lot of physical and emotional strain. He had about an hour before nightfall and he had a cell phone with him. And what he was doing was just checking for a signal about every hour because he didn't want to be completely demoralized. And about at this point, he looks up and sees a, a little bit of a clearing ahead. So he decides to just walk into the clearing and see if he can get a signal, which he does. But he made a call and nobody could hear him. He could hear them. They couldn't hear him. He had one bar. You know how that goes. Uh, oh, that's demoralizing. I can just imagine <sighs> pointing that would feel. Yeah. Well, he keeps at it. He keeps hiking a little bit further and a little bit further and keeps trying to make phone calls. At this point, he realizes like, oh gosh, this could be really bad. I'm, we might not make it out. And it's just funny because I would have been having those thoughts, I think, the second that the plane was crashing. Not like after I walked through a stream for a couple hours in the freezing cold. I think I would have a brief thought of uh, just jumping for joy that I didn't die in the wreck, in the plane wreck. <laughs> and then that would be short-lived before I maybe would wish for death. 
because that could maybe be a little more comfortable than a prolonged hypothermic demise. Well, especially if you're immobilized, I think that makes it even worse because you just feel so hopeless. So Justin was finally able to get through on the phone and he was told that, that an air patrol was on the way to find them. And using his phone, he was able to guide the air patrol to his exact position with his cell phone. Obviously, Tommy and Larry are unaware that rescue is on its way at this point. They're just extremely cold. Larry is unable to feel his legs. He starts to become a little bit hypothermic. If I was in this situation, I would just be glued to whoever I was with, just like trying to create body heat. Yeah, no doubt about it. I would be just human blanketing with whoever <laughs> was willing. Right. So an Air Force helicopter was commissioned to search that night. And at three in the morning, Thursday, Justin boarded one of the two MH-35J Pavlo helicopters from Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque to try to relocate the area of the crash. Justin led the pilots to the same direction on the scenic route that they had taken earlier in the day to the canyon area he suspected that they crashed. So did you say this is the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning? Yeah. I think it was just because the stakes were really high that they decided to go back. Tommy and Larry are lying there in their little hut. They're able to hear the drone of a helicopter. Then they're able to see the lights and Tommy was looking for something to reflect to the helicopter, something from the airplane. Um, you know, it's hard for the helicopter to see someone on the ground even during the day. So this is obviously challenging. I was just thinking if I was in this situation, I would want the mirror off of the airplane like that. Mirrors are really useful. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mirrors or even just some kind of, you know, reflective aluminum. There's probably a lot of reflective material in an airplane wreck. It's interesting because I don't think that they really considered the fact that they might need something to alert the helicopter. And so I guess if you're in this situation, salvage what you can when you can. In any case, um, you know, they are not able to locate the crash site. And Justin is very frustrated because he's pretty confident that they're in the right area. The crew ends up moving on for a time, even though Justin's pretty has that confidence. At this point, Larry's losing hope. He has a broken ankle and leg and he's extremely cold and his mindset is just not in the right place. And Tommy's really worried about Larry because Larry was starting to say things that indicated that he was a little bit confused and he was becoming pale. During the night, they began to hear this animal and they're on high alert. They were convinced at some point that it was a bear, despite the fact that bears hibernate in the winter. And Larry was just getting really anxious about this. So Tommy went to the airplane and got the uh, fire extinguisher out and handed it over to Larry and said, here, spray the bear with this when it comes to get you. And that sort of calmed him down for a little while, gave him something to do. Tommy's really hesitant to go to sleep because of his head injury, number one, but also because he's worried that Larry will just give up if he doesn't stay awake and kind of keep him motivated. They're lying for what feels like forever, I'm sure. But then they start hearing the helicopter again. And so when the helicopter comes back a second time, Tommy realizes, oh, I have a camera in my pocket and there were five pictures left. So he had five flashes. So he starts looking the camera in different directions until the fifth time, the very last time they finally see him. Oh, yay. That's amazing. 
Yeah, you think and yay, go- but just wait. Oh, no. Oh, no, Casey. <laughs> I just got so happy. Please don't get happy yet. But <laughs> you can almost get happy. This is where you might start thinking about another story. Okay. So the, the airplane sees the air flight and the men are elated. They're all excited. The helicopter starts looking for a place to land because the location where they are, there's no place to land. There are too many trees. As the helicopter goes to find a spot to land, the rotor, the main, uh, the main rotor hits a tree and they crash. The helicopter oh, crashes. Oh, yes. Sounds familiar. Mount. Oh, this can't be happening. So Justin's just survived two plane crashes in 24 hours. They crash far enough away that Larry and Tommy are not even aware of the fact that it crashed. They're just wondering where it went and where are their rescuers. They're just sitting there. They're really losing hope at this point. They're like, well, I guess this is it. Larry starts yelling and someone actually yelled back. After 19 hours in the wilderness, the men are being rescued. So what ended up happening was a ground-based crew was working independently of the helicopter crew. Uh, This team was dispatched from Durango after the SOS call, which actually somebody heard. They were able to find them using the coordinates Justin had given them, along with Justin's footprints. A dozen rescuers were taken by the ski lift to the top of Durango Mountain Ski Resort. And then they traveled by Snowcat, or Snow Machine, if you will, about 10 miles to the site. So again, the helicopter that crashed, it hit a tree and it fell 70 feet to the ground, but all eight passengers survived without injury. And Keith Roush of La Plata County Search and Rescue said, we were so lucky, it's unbelievable. We broke the helicopter to pieces. So it must have been a pretty significant crash to say something like that. Yeah, that's amazing that they all came out alive and and uninjured too. Is that what you said? Alive. All uninjured. That's wild. Oh, that's so cool. And what a what a great uh, search and rescue response that the the search and rescue folks from Durango were on it so quickly after that SOS call and all this was happening at night. That's dedication. Right? I know. And you would think that's probably what partially led to the crash of this helicopter. It's just lack of visualization, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that ultimately they were found by the ground crew. Yeah. And from the ski resort. So they weren't that far away from the ski resort. Not that they would have walked there. It was still 10 miles away, but I thought that was interesting. So Larry and Tommy were airlifted to Durango to the hospital. None of the three men from the first plane crash were in had serious long-term injuries. Justin made it out unscathed, which is unbelievable considering walking through that cold water. Tommy was treated and released pretty shortly after he was admitted. And Larry had some shock relating to his leg and ankle fractures, but was in good condition after 24 hours of hospitalization. Wow. That's which amazing. I can't believe. And yeah. I can't believe that none of them had frostbite that led to amputation. Yeah, especially Justin walking in that cold water with those pilot shoes. You know what saved them is that fast response. They were only out 19 hours. In the scheme of some of the stories we tell in here, that's a quick, quick rescue, fortunately. Yeah, right. I thought it was interesting because I read an article about this in the Missoulian, which is really cool. The Missoulian is from Missoula, Montana. So obviously you know that, Julie. 
Tommy and Robbins have been wearing shorts. Oh, he's wearing shorts. Gosh, I'm glad I didn't know that until now. Otherwise, I would have just been picturing it the whole time. Shorts, floral pattern, cotton. Probably. Well, when they left, the temperatures were in the 50s. So I don't know. That's pretty high for January, but I guess that's New Mexico too, where they started off. In terms of the airplane and why it crashed in the first place, the National Transportation Safety Board didn't know why it happened. The La Plata County Emergency Preparedness Director said that they thought the weight of the men in combination may have been too much at high altitude. But I guess the moral of the story here is that you should have some type of gear, no matter what you're doing or what vehicle you're transporting yourself in. We're never safe, Julie. Not to be paranoid, but we're just never safe. Right. You're just, yeah, you got to bring your, it's really true. Bring your survival bag. Anytime you get on an airplane, a sleeping bag, flares, ways to start fires, can of cat food in case you get really (laughs) desperate for something to eat. I was kind of wondering if there was any rescue equipment on the Cessna. I didn't see anything about it, but you would think that these Cessnas would have something in them, some type of emergency kit. They all should. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think. Maybe they lost it in the wreck. Who knows? Or maybe it's full of unhelpful stuff, as first aid kits can be. That's true. Yeah, I guess probably on little planes like that, too, they're always thinking about weight, so they might travel pretty light. But anyway, Cessnas are scary. That's the moral of the story. Moral of the story. (laughs) I was somebody you really can trust. That's all I can say. Well, Matt's a pilot. He got his private pilot license probably five years ago, and I've never flown with him. I've never been up with him. Someday, but I'll let him get a few more hours under his belt before that day comes. Maybe you just stay in the valley and don't go over the mountains. That's a good suggestion. Yeah, that's a good starting point for sure. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that story and have a wonderful remainder of your week. If you enjoyed listening, you know, let us know. And you can always leave us a message on our Instagram or our email. So our Instagram is the crux podcast and our email is the crux survival at gmail.com. So feel free to give us recommendations for stories or uh, thoughts. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks Casey. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh,